Hello and welcome to a Waypoint Church podcast by Jim Privet. We hope you enjoy listening to it. Well, hello. Um, I'm so sorry that I can't be with you. Um, you're watching, this feels like one of those film moments. If you're watching this video, it's because um, I have been overcome by what um, I call the flu and what my wife likes to call a cold. Um, so, um, but I'm not well enough to be with you in person. I'm so sorry, because I know that as well, sometimes with video talks, they can feel like they don't, they don't land as much, but I, I, I believe the Spirit of God will stir us, stir you uh, in the room as we continue in this series from 1 Chronicles 16, 7 through 36, which is called Worship Fit for a King. We've been looking at key verses from that passage and unpacking what they mean for us. Uh, David, so just a bit of context, David was reinstituting, reestablishing worship in the tabernacle. The Ark of the Lord is back in his possession. And um, he's moving along from what it looked like under Moses. Under Moses, perhaps it was a bit more sombre, but we start to read words about joy and dancing and singing. Uh, we see the instruments being introduced into the tabernacle as well. And just as God's people were being stretched back then, we're looking at um, how we can be stretched in our times of worship. What does it mean for us to come with perhaps a different posture, a different understanding, a different heart, a different mindset towards our worship uh, that will significantly change the culture of our times of worship, whether we worship traditionally or contemporary? Because we believe that our worship is not only inhabited by the King of glory himself, but builds a throne for him, but also paves a way for him to meet with us in the room powerfully but also beyond the room how it spills out into the world around us if you've missed any of the talks then please catch up on our youtube channel there's some amazing 10 talks about worship last week so good to hear the heart of the church and how this this is impacting them i think it was quite a significant week last week so go check that out on our youtube channel anyway back to today we're looking at this title wholehearted devotion what does it look like um to have wholehearted devotion to prevent our times of worship just being lip service, you know, more than words on a screen, so that we we are participators in worship and not just spectators. David says this in Psalm 86, verse 12, so that we give thanks to our Lord, our God, with all of our hearts. That's key because that word heart is used nearly a thousand times in terms of worship in the, in, in, in the Old Testament. But the word heart there, for the listener back then, that would have meant the totality of who every single part of them. They kind of call it their core, but it's every single part of them. It's, it's their physical body, it's their thoughts, it's their intellect, it's the will, it's the morals, it's the, it's the emotions. So when you look at, you know, you look at the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul and your mind and your strength. That's wholehearted devotion. What does that look like in our musical worship? How do we approach our times of worship like that? Because we can. Now, I um, am aware that um, I'm not going to offend anyone. Um, some of you will know Diane. Uh, if you're just watching this, you don't know why church. Diane is someone in our times of worship who loves to, to, to use a flag. And it's not my cup of tea, right? She knows this. We've had a conversation. It's fine. But it's inspired me more and more to realise that she's got an audience of one. She's using all of her strength, all of her might, all of her energy to worship God. How she feels called to worship him. There's other forms of, of strength, my, our bodies, right? So you've got dancing, dancing. When, when God's people in Exodus 15 are taken out of slavery, the first thing they do is dance before the Lord. David danced before the Lord in 2 Samuel. In Psalm 149, he danced before the Lord. Let them praise his name with dancing, not singing, not prayer, 
not, not flags, but with dancing. You see shouts of joy in loads of the different Psalms. You see lots of other physical forms, strength, energy type forms, clapping and raising hands. Singing's mentioned 400 times as part of our body. Singing, using our voices. 50 of those times it's commands. And who are we to go against the command? In fact, I know, thinking about it, I know people that perhaps aren't the best singers in the world, but when they sing to the top of their lungs, I'm inspired more to worship God. Something about their heart is shown in that moment. Perhaps it's about bowing. Last week it was amazing to see people that were bowing. Some people were lying straight down in the presence of the king. This wasn't for anyone else's benefit. It's for Jesus's benefit. Bowing down. In fact, that Hebrew word for worship means to bow down. Those are just some, some physical forms, I guess. That's part of who we are. And to be clear, what I'm saying here, by the way, is, uh, and I know this kind of borders into expression, which is what Adam spoke about so brilliantly well a couple of weeks ago. This is all about permission. This is not expectation, right? So we are wanting to give those that are wanting to worship God and be encouraged in that way and perhaps have not had the the teaching behind it or the understanding or the, or the push, the positive push, to now have freedom to do that, to raise a hand, to bow down, to sing out, to raise a flag, to dance, whatever they think it is that will lead them to this place of worshipping wholeheartedly with all that they are. Likewise, for some of us, it's about our mind, our thoughts. We look at the words on the screen. Are they? Can we ponder what they say? Is it a revelation of who God is? As we look at those words, they're not just words. They're actually they're saying something back into our minds that informs our soul, which which leads to response as revelation of God and there's a response as revelation of God for some of us that might even lead to our emotions I get emotional in my times of worship I chat to someone this week who also emotions is how they respond to God in times of worship because they're reminded of God's love his forgiveness his goodness his joy his power his healing and so the spirit of the Lord falls upon them in a way where they they are worshiping God with their emotions this is what it means to worship him wholeheartedly. This is your whole self. Don't forget, God is a jealous God. He wants your whole self. This is what David was getting at in these, in these few verses we're going to focus on today. So if you go to verse 10, he says this, and then verse 11, and later on verses 15 through to 20. Glory in his holy name. <clears throat> Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Let the hearts, the hearts, the whole of the person look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Let the hearts, the totality of someone, seek the Lord. Worship involves this deep desire to look and to seek his face. The amplified version of this actually says to, to want to spend time longing to be in his presence. Why is that important? You will seek me and find me when you seek with all of your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of the every single part of who you are give it all to God you'll seek me and you'll find me when you do worship I believe leads us to the to the very face of God if you like or the heart of God it creates this space where the manifest presence of God is somehow felt in ways that I think other other ways aren't always I was talking to someone last week who said that they walked into the back of the room as we were worshiping collectively a combined service last week and they said that they just they just they felt like a wall <laughs> of God's presence in the room. Now, we know we have the, the presence of God with us all the time, but sometimes there's a, there's a sense of a manifest presence of God that we can encounter. Proximity leads us to a place, I think, where we can perceive things more clearly. We can see things the way that God sees things as we lift our whole heart to him. We can hear things the way that he hears them. We can hear his voice better. 
He has our full devotion and our attention. This is why I think King David says this. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him. Seek, gaze, dwell in the presence. David knew that worshipping meant dwelling in the presence. Not a one time when you die thing, right? A now thing, because that's the privilege of being a son and daughter of God. David was devoted to the presence of God. Why? Because he needed it. Because it was relationship. It was in this dwelling place that he begins to be impacted. He begins to be shaped to experience change. You see it in the verses. Let me just, just read the change to you. You ready? Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. There's joy in this dwelling place. Look to the Lord and his strength. His strength, there is strength, right, in this dwelling place. There's something about, as we, as we wholeheartedly devote our worship to God, we, our hearts touch God's heart, God begins to do something in us, in our hearts. Ultimately, I think that means that he works in us and he also works through us. We see this in the Great Commission. The first commandment, we've talked about this already, but the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. What is the second part? That we should love our neighbour. There is this overflow. When we worship God with all of our heart, there is an overflow that leads to devotion. I don't want, I don't want to be, and I don't want us to be a church that is like the Pharisees, kind of um, hypocritical worship. Jesus says this in Matthew 15, that those people, they honour me with their lips, but their hearts, who they are, the entirety of who they are, are far from me. They worship me, therefore, in vain. Now, Jesus was challenging the Pharisees here, the rituals and the religious outward acts, if you like, and God looks at the heart. Jesus was challenging and encouraging authentic worship. I don't want us to be ever satisfied with empty acts of worship where our heart, where our words are just filling a room. Right, where it's just hot air. I want it to be authentic worship. Worship that moves us from consumerism to transformation. That's what wholehearted devotion in worship looks like. So that God can begin to overflow into you and then from you. Interestingly, in verses 15 to 20, um, you see this kind of in the middle of, of David re-establishing the blueprint of worship. He's doing something else as well. He's reminding God's people of, of, of their covenant with God. He says this, he remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you, I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. <coughs> When they were but a few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. I find it interesting that in the middle of this blueprint, David is reminding God's people of the fact that they are covenant people. That they have a promise over them, that they're under the promise of God, they're in the safety of God's promise, that they've got this mutual agreement with God. And as a result, that in their wandering, in being strangers in a foreign land that they can still know that they can be deeply devoted towards God. And it got me thinking, do we ever feel like that? Do we ever feel like we are strangers in a foreign land? Respectfully, if you don't feel like that, you should. Romans 12, 2, this is the message version in case you're thinking, what? 
It says this, we should not be, be so well adjusted to our culture that we fit into it without thinking. Instead, fix your eyes, your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Again, it's this idea of fixing our eyes, our whole selves on God and we'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognise what he wants from you and respond quickly to it. That's what I love about musical worship. It fixes our eyes, does it not? It reminds us that we're part of an unshakable kingdom, that we have a new identity, that we're not under the covenant of Abraham or Isaac. We're under the covenant of Jesus Christ, that we're seated on heaven in, in heavenly places. The old has gone, the new has come. That we have a role to play now, right, as well. That's so important that we're covenant people, that we wander about from nation to nation, from person to person, from place to place, we are that God is building his kingdom in us and through us. Where his presence, right? The presence of God, the same presence, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that his presence that lives within us wants us to be wholeheartedly devoted to him as we wander around. Now, some of this stuff crosses over a little bit with what I spoke about last time, which was reverence submission. But really submission is is a, a, another form of wholehearted devotion. But just as we don't do certain things to show our devotion to God, what we do do also shows our devotion to God. Now, I know I just said do do, but if submission is about denying myself out of devotion for God, then devotion is about applying myself out of devotion for God. An analogy might be this. Imagine my kids, and I love them. Um, imagine if they said, well, out of love, Dad, we, we haven't left our bedrooms in a mess, right? I do, I do believe in miracles. Um, but instead, you know, well, out of love, we haven't left our bedrooms in a mess. And also, we've tidied the whole house for you. We've applied ourselves. We, we've done other things, right? Because, you know, it's important to you. That's what I think wholehearted devotion look like. It, it overflows, so I want to focus on just three things, and there are loads more than this, but just three things that I think as God wrestles our heart back in our times of worship, he begins to speak into us and shapes us to have the Father's heart. Things that we become devoted to because we are devoted to, to him. And the first one is, and it's not groundbreaking, but it's prayer. A heart devoted to God is a heart that is dependent on him in prayer. Do we see prayer as spiritual privilege? That prayer has only been made possible through the dreadful, painful work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That he went through everything to restore our relationship with God. Prayer is a privilege. He mediates for us at the right hand of God right now so that we can have this relationship. Do you see prayer as, as the vital part of your relationship with God? Prayer should be your most important ministry, right? And what I mean by that is not a, not a prayer ministry at church. It's not what I'm talking about. But things like serving, things like singing and reading, they're all great things, right? Reading the Bible is a good thing. Singing to God is a great thing. Serving God is, is a good thing. But devoid of prayer, they can, come, they can become things that we do. Whereas prayer is all about what God can do. Now, I don't have time to list everything about prayer, but... Some of you might think, yeah, well, what's, what's the point of prayer? What does it do? Hopefully you do know what it does. But prayer has the power to bless others, to heal, to reveal God's heart, to bring peace and comfort, to bring guidance, to bring forgiveness, to bring understanding. Prayer is a space of confession. It gives hope. It, it brings wisdom. 
you gain protection, you see miracles, it raises the faith, it releases spiritual gifts. There are so many reasons why this privilege of prayer that we have is so important. In fact, in the Colossian church, Paul says this, devote yourselves to prayer. In the Bible, it says, pray without ceasing. God's will is for you to pray. Do we count it a necessity and a privilege to pray? If you don't, can I just challenge you? Can I just challenge you lightly and encourage you, hopefully? The times that my, my prayer life is being like that is <laughs> because of a lack of humility. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people called by my name so humble themselves and pray and seek my face, seek and turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. In context, this is about repentance, right? But there's something about seeking, repenting, turning and facing the Lord that requires us to humble ourselves. Often our, our lack of prayer is because we think we know best. We, we can do things in our own strength. We have our own plans. We have our own wisdom. We don't need God. We, we, perhaps, we are, perhaps it's even that we're so insecure. We're so focused on ourselves that we don't want to pray out loud. We don't want to be in groups. And, and please hear me right. Perhaps it's not what I prayed before. What's the point? He already knows my prayers before I get him. <laughs> All those things, by the way, they point to us, whereas prayer points to God. Prayer is an offering of us, our desires, our obeys and our feelings. Prayer is an expression of dependence upon God. God loves it when we depend upon him. Proverbs 15, 8 says this, the prayer of the upright, you're upright, by the way, if you've been made righteous by Jesus Christ, the prayer of a righteous person, the prayer of the upright is his delight. He loves to hear it. Do you want to please God? Pray. God is so eager to hear prayers and respond to them that in Isaiah 65 says this, before they call... Not to say you shouldn't then call, but before they call, he says this, I will answer. While they are speaking, so while they are praying, I will hear. In fact, God badges his people in Isaiah 62 to pray. I have put guards on the walls to watch. They must not be silent day or night. People who remind the Lord of your needs in prayer should never be quiet. You should not stop praying to him until he builds up Jerusalem and makes it a city of people that will praise. God wants to shape us. To the extent that we are so devoted to him that we pray. That we don't give him any rest, it says in that last verse. Don't give him any rest. He loves to hear our thanks, our desires, our struggles, our weakness. Because prayer worships him and it reminds us that we need him. Jesus himself says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. So that the Father may be glorified. Prayer glorifies God. It shouldn't be infrequent or hit and miss. The next part of that Colossians verse was keeping alert. Be watchful. Be watchful. Why? There are loads of reasons to be watchful in prayer. But the biggest reason is this, guys, we're in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6.18 says, be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Pray hard and long. This is the message version. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that, one, so that no one falls behind or drops out. This, for me, reminds us that we need prayer in the room, right? This is what I mean about culture. We need prayer in the room. Charles Spurgeon said this, if God be near a church, it must pray. And if he, not, if he be not there, one of the first token of his absence will be slothfulness in prayer. If God be near a church, it must be prayer. I don't mean church in terms of the people. If God wants to be near us, do we pray? Are we devoted to prayer in our private walks and in our collective ones as well? In our pre-service prayers, and our prayers in our services. And I don't just mean led prayers from the front. Are we willing to turn and pray for each other? 
Mark last week, Mark Derbyshire talked about how that there's something about getting out of your seats or, or actually recognising you need prayer. You need to be in the presence of God of prayer, coming down the front, going to the prayer team, turning to someone and saying, can you pray for me? Which breaks something in the spiritual, which says this is about God. This is because it brings delight to come before him. When someone in your life group comes down the front, are you as a life group leader or anyone else in the life group, are you prepared to get up out of your seat and come and pray with that person? Scrap that. If you know someone's going through a tough time where they need prayer, are you prepared to go over and, and ask with consent, can I pray for you? Can you humble yourself to do that? We've got 7-7 prayer after this um, um, service. That wasn't lined up for this, but 7-7 um, prayer, Matthew 7-7, ask, seek and knock. Can we be a church that is committed to that? A friend of mine, I wasn't going to share this, but I am now. A friend of mine shared a vision with me a few years ago, a picture that he had of our church. He's never been in our church, in our new church. Hasn't seen it at all. And he was able to, to depict it incredibly well, almost like amazing detail. But he said, this is going back to my pre-service prayer, he said that um, one element of this, this picture, I guess, was of um, as he looked through the window before the service even started, there were a hundred people in our pre-service prayer. And as these people were praying, this was connected to thousands of people coming to the building. These people were non-believers. And he said it was like a picture of, of people, just people's hearts being revived in prayer for the lost. You know, do you have people in your life that are lost? Come and pray. Come and pray. Do you pray for them? Wouldn't it be amazing to see this room full? of people because of our prayers how devoted are we do you pray for your kids do you pray for your friends your spouse you know i pray for my two kids Aminobi. it's a bit of a mantra prayer now because it's the same words but i pray every night over them that they might learn to live and love like jesus every day of their life do you pray confidently in front of god in the throne room for your friends in your life groups Perhaps boldly in your workspaces, because prayer changes stuff. Are you devoted to it? Because that shows that we're devoted to God, if we are. The next overflow is, are we devoted to one another? A heart devoted to God it is devoted to his people. In Romans 12, 10, Paul says this, be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. We are called to be devoted to one another. Another version of that says, that with this brotherly love, this filio love is the Greek word there. Not a sibling rivalry, but a sibling love. That we've got the same veins, the same blood sorry, flowing through our veins. The blood of Jesus Christ in our veins. Look around the room right now. I don't know if you're looking, but, but look around the room right now. These are your brothers and sisters. You, ha you share the blood of Christ. This is your spiritual family. Acts 2 understood this. It was outworked in their actions when they came together. They didn't just break the bread together. They didn't just meet to, 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 for the teaching. They didn't just have times of prayer. They were devoted to times of prayer together, uh, but also fellowship. Later on, it says that they met every day. Now, that might be a bit much for some of us, but they met every day. They committed to each other. In fact, they were so devoted to each other that, that, that they had no need. Some of them sold their land, their property for the, for the, for the needs of others. There's no lone rangers in this walk with Christ you need those people around you you need to get to know those people around you you need to learn to honour those people around you as above yourself when we all learn to honour one another above ourselves there is this incredible harmony that reflects the heart of God another version of that says take the lead in honouring one another what does it mean for us as a church to take the lead in honouring one another 
Could it be as simple as, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> could it be as simple as um, <laughs> turning up on time to church? Now, I'm a bit time blind myself sometimes, right? But sometimes when you turn up late for things, you can get in a panic. You can not be up to date with things. You can feel a little bit like you're more observing what's going on around you, who's in the room, rather than what the feel and the vibe of the room might be. You can feel like you're behind. Could it be that we turn up a bit late, a bit earlier, sorry, to church? Be ready. We get a car park that's spaced that way as well. <laughs> Could it be that we're here more often? You know, we love, it's so good to be here more often, to be devoted to one another. They, I mean, Acts 2, every day, but hey, but every week, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? To lift our voices in worship, to be, to be in the presence of God together, to see how, the, how God is shaping his church together. Perhaps it's praying for one another taking the lead in that maybe it's taking the lead and just saying hello to someone and saying are you new you look new they look new probably they are new say hello to them ask people to join your life group ask people to to hang out have a meal take the lead honor them in that way also um in romans it talks about um it's a great passage just before this this another part of how we can honor one another um so in Christ we are many for sorry <clears throat> so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others we have different gifts according to the grace given us if a man's gift is prophecy let him use it in proportion to his faith if it is serving let him serve if it is teaching let him teach if it is encouraging let him encourage if it is contributing to the needs of others let him give generously if it is a leader Sorry, if it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. There's something about honouring one another, being devoted to one another, which is recognising that we all have um, a gift from God. We all have a spiritual gift. And it's about honouring that gift. Devoted to one another, recognising that we need to be active with that give, gift. It's a manifestation of the spirit of who God is given to us for the common good of each other. And we need you and God needs you to be you <laughs> and the gift he's given you for the benefit of us, for the church. And that is in the room. And sometimes it's not in the room, other places as well. If you're prophetic, we want to hear the prophetic in the church. If it's, if it's encouragement, come and encourage the church. If it's, um, you think you've got the gift of teaching, help, you know, come and, and we'll equip you in that. If it's the gift of giving, generosity, whatever that looks like, do so. There is much that God has given you that by being here every week, by, by, by honouring that gift and giving it to the church, then the church grows with the body of Christ. And we can't be active if we're not doing it in that way. Perhaps it's beyond that. Perhaps it's that you're serving in a ministry midweek. Perhaps it is that you're serving in life groups. How, what is your spiritual gift? How does your spiritual gift honour those people? Perhaps it's in your workspaces. Your spiritual gift is to serve other people, for example. These are all overflows of a heart that is devoted with strength, with mind, with soul towards God. The last overflow is this devotion to his commands. A heart devoted to God is devoted to his will. A heart devoted to God is a heart devoted to his will, his commands. 1 Kings 8.61 says this, And may your hearts, that's all that you are, be fully committed to the Lord, to live by his decrees and obey his commands. A heart so shaped by God 
that you cannot help but want to do as he asks, right? Psalm 119 says this, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Is that us? I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. If we seek to be devoted to God, then we are devoted to his commands. Jesus puts it this way. If you love me, what? You will keep my commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Now, there are loads of commands. Some people think it's over a thousand in the New Testament, but there's a succinct way, isn't there, that Jesus paraphrases. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is love your neighbour as yourself. In Romans 13, 8 to 10, it says, whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Therefore, love your neighbour as yourself. Love is the fulfilment of the law. Jesus is the fulfilment of the law. He's the symbol of love. All these things pointed towards Jesus. And the overflow for us here is to see the world as God sees it, to explain why we love like God loves. And how does the world, how does God see the world? Lost in need of a saviour. He died for the world so that they may know the love of God. It's so important that we connect that, those two things. The great commandment to love the Lord God with every, all that we are and the great commission. Joining the mission of Jesus Christ that he did this so that people could be in relationship, reconciled we are to be reconcilers. The two biggest commands in our life are that, to love the Lord our God, to love our neighbours, but to go make disciples. Use our words. We cannot claim to, to, to love the world the way that Jesus loves the world unless we're prepared to speak about Jesus. It's, it's great to reflect the sacrificial love and the serving towards people. Of course it is. And that's often how it always starts. But are we prepared to speak of about what Jesus achieved on the cross? In spite of our insecurities and worries. That's what wholehearted devotion looks like. It's taking what matters to God the most. The heart of God and sharing it with the world. In our actions and in our words. I'm invite the worship team up. But also um, we're going to go back into our times of worship. In our traditional and our contemporary in a minute. But just as we invite the spirit to come and speak to us. What are those areas? It might even be areas beyond what I've talked about. Where God wants to break the dam, break down the obstacle. Perhaps it's in your prayer life. Perhaps it's within the devotion to one another. Perhaps it's in committing to his commands. And in particular, the command to love the Lord your God, to love others, to go and disciple people. Let's just pray. Holy Spirit, you have full access. We ask you right now just to put your finger on a key area. A key, a key thing in our hearts, Lord, that we, we need to be shaped more like you. That as we give wholehearted devotion to you in our worship, worship, worshipping, that, Lord, you begin to wrestle our hearts back into your hands and shape it the way that you want it shaped. So that it will overflow in the room right now, but also beyond into the world. Holy Spirit, come. Amen. Amen.